Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by producer JL, John Luke Shapiro, and a special guest host. Uh, you may know him as Brooklyn Joker, B-K-L-Y-N Joker, Joker 90 on Twitter. Nick, also a new member of the Blue Seat Blogs crew, is here with us as a guest host today with, uh, with Dave and Becky off this week. So first and foremost, before we get to the hockey, Nick, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well considering life outside the rangers right now but thank you guys for having me i'm very excited yeah nick you are a something of a podcast veteran yourself uh why don't you give people a little bit of a of a skinny in the background on on your show uh which which i think you said you revived uh about a month ago but i know you know you had done uh quite a few episodes before that as well so you have a regular show in addition to now maybe a pinch hitting once in a while on the uh live from the blue seats podcast yeah, so uh, my buddy and I, Chris, we do uh, 30 on Broadway talking blue shirts together. Um, him and I have been on and off podcasting like for about 10 years now, so it's always been something that we've enjoyed doing, especially like him and I, I mean, we, we got together over, we became friends like through the Rangers, and so it's just something that him and I naturally bonded with and we enjoy doing, so um yeah it's been a very long journey for the both of us talking rangers hockey yeah and uh it feels at times i'm sure uh like you've seen it all and that will sort of make a perfect segue into today's show this week's show which is of course about the rangers going from that familiar feeling of being on top of the world and then the rude awakening that a that a playoff series and the stanley cup playoffs can often bring to you they crash back down to earth, you know, with two pretty rough results at home, uh, a two, one overtime loss, and then a three, one dud on, uh, on Monday night at Madison square garden. And all of a sudden a, a series that was two O Rangers after two resounding wins at the rock is now two, two. And, and every single fan, no, I shouldn't say every single fan, but most of this fan base has some very serious questions about this team moving forward. So, uh, JL, I want to, uh, kick it over to you first. Um, where are you? Because I think, you know, we, we, I've heard the gamut of emotions here. I have heard some positivity, although if you look across Rangers Twitter and even just talking amongst friends and, uh, and, and, and family members for me, there's also a lot of anxiety here. So, uh, where are you personally with this team through four games of this first round series? Cautious optimism. First of all, before I go on, it's nice to have you aboard, Nick. Uh, thank you. Looking forward to your contributions to the uh, website and uh, glad that you're filling in for uh, Becky and Dave. I know uh, Dave usually would come in and he would just start like, you know, yelling for no reason. That's not Dave. I'm <laughs> kidding. Anyways, uh, where I'm at with the Rangers right now, it's <laughs> it's just I'm trying to do my best to be as diplomatic as I can. So I'm. I want to say I'm I'm uh, I'm slightly worried. I'm not. I'm, it's cautiously optimistic. I'm slightly worried. Um, clearly, the way that they were able to dominate games one and two, it was somewhat there on Saturday, and it was completely non-existent on Monday. They seem tentative, sloppy play, 
you know, not knowing what to do with the puck, very indecisive, kind of not engaging. And the worst part about it is, is that the Devils didn't even play all that well. Yeah, they were slightly better on Monday, but both of those games were winnable for the Rangers. But, you know, this is playoff hockey after all, and it is kind of like a seesaw. It's very up and down. It's hard to really tell. So I am on the cautious optimism side. I think that, uh, you know, we'll we'll elaborate more on this, but um, I'm more of in the ca- in the camp that I need to see what happens, and unless there's four losses under our name, the series ain't over yet. Because if you know anything about the Rangers, it's they ha- they've always for some reason had this ability to come back, even in different seasons. So it's more cautious optimism and a lot of anxiety. So I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I was so miffed at a playoff loss. That I was the other night, but there's still some optimism and, and we'll we'll get into that because it really relays into the play style and how they're doing. So it's cautious optimism, I'd call it. Yeah, Nick, how about how about yourself? I, I find myself at a crossroads because I, I really do try and see the the brighter side of things when looking at the Rangers. And I, I try not to always look at the past as a as a future indicator. But these two games, and more specifically Monday night, it burned up a lot of goodwill that this team had built with me over the last month and a half. Because just to see how Trocek scores to tie the game, Gardens alive, and the team just decides, okay, we're going to take our foot off the gas and just stop playing. And they laid back and they gave the Devils the game. That to me is very scary. And it was something that, you know, there, there was a red flag about this team, and Rob, you and I had talked about this, that, you know, during the regular season, are they just looking forward to the playoffs and just forgetting about the rest of the regular season? So there's always been that question of, does this team always get up for games and get up for moments? And the fact that Trocek ties it, the building's going nuts, you should be feeding off that energy in the crowd and just to see them totally disengage themselves and sit back and let New Jersey take the game over, really, really disheartening. Now, can they flip the switch again like they did in games one and two and just absolutely lock down the Devils and, you know, take their heart out and, and show it to them? Absolutely. Do I think that's going to happen now? Absolutely not, because New Jersey has life. Jack Hughes has life. The worst thing that I think that could happen for the Rangers is that Jack Hughes is getting comfortable because he could take a series over. Every time he touches the puck, it's like Patrick Elias in 05 when the Devils swept us. I just have that nauseating feeling every time he touches the puck. So I, I am truly, truly nervous to see where this series goes now. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, we are recording this show and we're actually going to release it on Wednesday. We've been a little bit uh, all over the map with our release days, but we're kind of going with the ebbs and flows of the season here. And and I think, uh, I hope at least that our listeners and Ranger fans will appreciate uh, this coming a day early because I think, frankly, the fan base is, 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 is was today, uh, this is Tuesday, and will still be in need of a little bit of therapy, right, where you acknowledge the problems, you try and work through them on your own, and then you try to, uh, you know, manage it, right? You, you have a strategy for how you deal with, uh, t- how you deal with it. And, you know, obviously I'm using the term therapy very loosely and in a slightly humorous way here, but 
look, I think, I think there's a lot to digest emotionally as a fan. And I think, you know, Nick, I think your point about the devils, oh, or I'm sorry, uh, sorry, JL, your point, excuse me, uh, about the devils not really playing all that well is, is the one that resonates with me the most because I'm looking at this series as a whole now, four games in, and I see a lot of good, right? I see the devils are averaging 25 shots on goal a game. I mean, this was a prolific offensive team. They had actually like generational offensive numbers the first 20 games or so of the year they did cool off come back down to earth but then they had another really nice surge the last 20 games or so you know they kind of cooled off in the middle of the year went through a little bit of a slump um and the only player to your point nick that really has done anything has been jack hughes he's got three goals he's he is the only player that looks consistently dangerous but we know that the devils have other good players right they've got brat they've got dawson mercer you know, Dougie Hamilton obviously is an overtime winner, but he hasn't been a force other than scoring that goal. Um, and, and, and there's this sense of like, they haven't really come out and dominated long stretches of games. Both teams have sort of played a little bit of a tentative style. And, and which leads me to kind of my first overall point here, which is when you're looking at where to maybe, uh, you know, points of criticism or, you know, I don't want to come out and just be negative and start trashing people. And we'll get to for sure Mika and Panarin who need to do a lot more. I think we all know. And every fan has acknowledged that. I think Rangers fans in general are very united on these things. There's not a lot of internal debate about who's been good, who's been bad. You know, there's not that much sniping on Twitter. Honestly, it's pretty much universally like those two guys need to step it up. Um, but I want to start with one guy who I am not blaming at all, and I think this is rare, is Gerard Gallant. I think he has coached a great series. And, you know, Dave has talked about this throughout the year. Gallant's not known as an X's and O's guy. Um, you know, he's more of just a set it and forget it coach. He lets, lets the players manage things on their own, et cetera, et cetera. But he and his assistants put down it, put in place a, a game plan which has slowed down the devils to this point. Yes, they've generated slightly more offense if you look at expected goals and things like that, but all the games have been pretty close in that regard. And I think if you're telling me, if you'd have told me that the Devils were averaging 25 shots on goal a game through four games, I would have said, worst case scenario, the Rangers are up three to one. Best case scenario, they swept and it wasn't close. And that's not the case. It's 2-2 and the Devils have all the momentum. And they actually have taken that style of game and sucked the life out of the Rangers, which I think is very concerning because... What we saw in game four was kind of your classic lifeless playoff game. You know, the effort was not there, even though I don't think it was a, I didn't see laziness, but I just saw stubbornness from the Rangers. And I saw sort of a, all right, well, we are supposed to dump the puck in, right? And and we're not supposed to try to do anything else. But obviously part of dumping the puck in is that you have to recover it. And there was, they were a little bit slow, uh, two loose pucks and, and, and slow in getting to the devil's defense as they went to go back for those retrievals other than the kid line. Right. So, you know, the fact that the devils have taken that style and turned it on its head to, in their favor is disheartening because now the question becomes, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you first JL, because this is kind of what's going through my mind as we look forward to game five, do you open it up? Do you say, all right, guys, it's time to start pressing a little bit for offense because we can't create anything, right? We scored two goals in two games and we didn't really get that many scoring chances, especially five on five. So do you open it up? hundred percent. You have to at this point. Yes, because 
if you look at the way the Devils have played the Rangers over the last two games, um, you know, they've they've essentially just brought everybody back, you know, because at the first two games they were, you know, the Rangers were really going in deep and they were going around their system and the Devils adapted to basically just everybody coming back. And the Rangers really, excuse me, outside of a couple of spurts here and there, especially from the kid line, haven't really found a way to solve it. So what are you going to do? You can't do the same thing. That's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing multiple times and thinking you're going to get this the different result. You know, there has to be some sort of adjustment. Mika and Panarin, well, you know, we'll get to them in a bit, but and, and a lot of other players on this team, they they can do that. You know, the Devils are fast, yes, but the Rangers are not some slow big team that can't move. There's a lot of skill skating wise up front as well. So who says they can do that? Now you mentioned the dump ins and all that. It's perfect. That idea to dump the puck in and go past the fence. That's how you're supposed to break that trap. But the issue is, and maybe this is just me. I'm not a hockey coach. You'd have to talk to some of our other guys in the chat who are actually coaches, but just on my amateur, you know, hockey strategy, you know, view when the Rangers would dump the puck in, there would be nobody supporting them when they would go and retrieve it. Or they, like you said, they wouldn't retrieve it at all. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like you're basically giving the puck away. So do they open it up? You have to get, tell Adam Fox to skate it through. Tell okay. Andre Miller to try and skate it through, chip it in, let the forwards have to go in and force themselves into the play. Because if there was one thing that the Rangers were good at games, one and two was going down low, bearing down possession of the puck, passing it in the offensive zone and moving the devils around in their defensive zone. And if they can even do that to the slightest, they'll be fine. It's, it's just, it's just annoying th that these guys, they come out, especially after the Trocheck goal and lay an egg, you know, yeah. you can't, you can't constantly rely on Igor to bail you out. This is not the Lundquist Rangers anymore. And you can't <sighs> let Igor continue to, do what he does without risk, you know, perfect example. How do you let a pass from one side of the ice to the other lead to Siegenthaler on, uh, on that cross ice pass where he was wide open? Should have Igor have made that save? Probably, but you shouldn't have let it get to that point in the first place. It's like a toss up chance. So open it up. Yes, you absolutely have to try and open up. If you get the defense has been phenomenal. So trust them a little bit. You know, let the devils make mistakes. Let force them to make mistakes. Yeah. I mean, Nick, what do you think? Cause I'm definitely on the fence about this. Do you open it up? Do you, do you try to, do you invite the devils back into their comfort zone, which is a little bit of a track meet trade chances game? I do, especially because when you look at Thursday or uh, not Thursday, I'm sorry, game three, it was a, definitely more wide open than we had seen. And I thought the Raiders outplayed the devils. In that, in that kind of track meet, let's open it up kind of style. I mean, both teams were definitely getting on man rushes both ways, but mm -hmm. I thought it was actually favoring the Rangers. And I, and I look at it too. Look, you do have the ultimate trump card. You have Igor Shesterkin. And so you can afford to take a couple of risks that other teams can't because you know at the end of the day, nine times out of ten, Igor is stopping whatever comes his way. So I, I think you have to use that to your advantage. And right now, with the way the Panarin's advantage at are playing, I think opening it up probably helps them because now it forces their hand. It forces them to get involved. So instead of them being tentative, it makes them, okay, 
Now I have to play. Now I got to jump into the less thinking or playing. So I I think right now for where the Rangers are at, because look, Akira Schmid over these two games gave up a lot of long rebounds. And I mean mm-hmm. a lot, especially in game four. And I, and I had said earlier in the game, shots low and hard, get bodies going towards the net, and you will score, and that's how Trocek scores. So it's the the recipe is there because right now, too, the Devils are taking every way in the middle of the ice. They are collapsing and protecting the front of the house. So if you're the Rangers, you're not going to get something easy. So you, you really are going to have to open it up and take chances. So, and look, it's not like they don't have the, the talent offensively to be able to finish those chances. This is why you go out and you trade for Vladdy Tarasenko and Patrick Kane. But the, they definitely have to do something because the, the puck retrieval was not there in game four. And that definitely cost them. Yeah. I mean, you know, guys, you may have convinced me here, but my my inclination is that you stay the course. And I think... And and it does sound a little bit crazy on its face, but if you execute that plan better, you should be the team that has the advantage, right? Because of your your right. point about the goaltending, Nick, you know, you have the better goalie, so the fewer shots he sees, the more chance you have at only allowing one goal in a game or, or him getting a shutout, which he was very close to getting in game one. Um, and they are a good team at creating offense off the cycle when they can start a cycle. The problem is, is that especially the top two lines just have not been able to get that going. I mean, you know, look, I love Mika's advantage out. I love Panarin. I, you know, I have, I have very little negative to say about this team, especially just from a likability rooting perspective, but the performances that those two guys have put in, particularly in the last, you know, two, two and a half games have been really concerning. And I think the thing that, that is, really concerning about Zibanejad is, is, you know, his line just does nothing five on five, like at least Panarin, you know, when he's out there um, and when, and he's obviously been playing with Trocek and Tarasenko, you know, there, there have been some moments and some chances created and some time spent in the offensive zone. I feel like Zibanejad's out there and he's just, and look, he's putting in a great effort defensively. His details have been largely good but he's also a 91 point scorer. He's almost, he should have had 40 goals. I mean, whatever, you know, he probably missed 40 goals by, well, he missed by exactly one, but he could have, you know, a puck off the post in March could have, or, or in, in, in uh, October from Zibanejad, he's a 40 goal scorer. And he he was going to have 50 a couple of years ago in the pre COVID year. The guy's a legitimate elite scorer uh, at the center position. And, the fact that he just has not had the ability to get anything going five on five is hugely concerning. Now, obviously people are hearkening back to last year, how he didn't do anything in that Pittsburgh series until game six. And then from that point on, he was the the best Ranger in the playoffs. Uh, And that includes Igor Shesterkin. So can he have another awakening? Absolutely. You know, can Artemi Panarin figure it out? Well, that's a, that's a different question because we haven't seen it yet from him as a Ranger in the playoffs, his, his previous playoff appearances with Chicago and Columbus, he was better. I mean, that series with Columbus against Tampa, when they swept them in 2019, Panarin was the best player on the ice. So mm-hmm. that is there, but that's also four years ago. So, um, Nick, I want to start with you on Panarin. Cause you know, I, I, I know, I think I know your overall thoughts on him, but do you think he can turn it around? I think with Zibanejad, as much as that's an open question, we've at least seen it before and we've seen it recently, but, what are your thoughts on Panarin and what can he do to turn it around? 
I, I just feel like for Panera, he has no confidence right now, which is very weird to say because this is a guy, you know, multiple 90-point seasons. Since he's been a Ranger in the regular season, he's been one of the all-time great regular season Rangers in franchise history. So the the fact that I'm saying he has no confidence is, is kind of shocking, even to hear it out loud. But when you look at some of the chances he's had that he's just point-blank blown, it's not Artemi Panarin. The breakaway, he had the, the one on the power play, like the open net. I, I, I almost feel like this is a guy that I know, and he's bought into what Gallant wanted last year with, you know, no doing stupid shit at the blue line and not turning the puck over. And he's, he's been committed to playing a 200-foot game so far. But this is a guy who I think they just need to let go of and just say, go be you. Do what you do. Yeah, you may turn the puck over a little bit, but don't worry about it. Just be you. Because I think he's that kind of guy who needs to play that carefree, I just have to do what I I do, and people are going to have to live with the results. Because I think when he's thinking too much, I think that's where he is now, he's not shooting. Because let's face it, he's not a shoot-first guy anyway. He wants to set everybody up. So he'll never have that shoot-first mentality, which sucks. Because his shot, he reminds me, honestly, of a better version of Matt Zuccarello. Because Mm -hmm. if Panarin ever chose to shoot first, he would probably score 40 goals every single year without even trying. So it's one of those, I think he just needs to see one go in to feel better about his game. Yeah, uh, JL, any any thoughts from you on Panarin? Well, judging off of his first two games uh, in New Jersey, you began to see a different playoff Panarin. He was engaged. He was throwing it on net. Him and Tarasenko looked phenomenal. He was engaged, and we all thought that this was really going to be the awakening for him in the playoffs. And I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, like it was mentioned, he was outside of the cup, the goals in, you know, the goal here and there. And obviously he got the game winner uh, in against Pittsburgh in round one. He's been very unnoticeable, but I've noticed at least in the first two games, he was actually doing things. And it goes back to what Nick was saying is it's that confidence and Panarin, yes, he is a very, it seems like he is very cerebral in that aspect. And you can tell uh, when game three started, as the game started going along on Saturday, he began to do less and less because either they were trying to pass the puck too much or they were tentative and, you know, not really getting it to the net. Like perfect example, one of the chances, you know, Panarin, you know, I think it was mentioned Panarin had an empty net and I think Truba, was going to feed him and, and Panarin missed. So, it, it, and then, then you see the rest of the game. He just kind of was like overthinking it because if you look at the way that he plays and just like observing his game from an outside point of view, you can tell it's, it's not a matter of lack of effort. You could tell the guy tries. He just tries too much. Like you said, and I agree with the point, you just got to let him go. Let him do his thing. Let him just go free and easy, and you'll get the best out of him. So, you know, I think out of – I'm less concerned for Panarin than I am Mika 
But at the same token, I mean, this is sort of kind of what Sabanajad does. I mean, he kind of did it in 17 too, but again, not really trying to look too much on the past, but you just hope that they can find it and Panarin can actually go back to how he played games one and two. And like you said, like you said, one has to go one. He needs to see one go in. He looked a little bit better after the overtime goal against the Penguins, but he kind of reverted back during that hurricane series. So fingers crossed, hope that, you know, he can finally just put it together and, and be engaged like he did games one and two. Yeah. I'm glad you both brought up games one and two, because we haven't really talked much about that. And now obviously JL, you and Dave did a fantastic job on last week's show recapping game one. I actually listened to the show on my way to game two. And I think the co- the confidence thing that you b- both brought up really is a microcosm for the rest of the team. And it shows how fleeting that confidence can be in the playoffs. And by the way, look, with a little bit of distance from this game, now let's, uh, and, and I'm, sh- I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, probably during the question segment, but I was, after this loss on Tuesday night, about as despondent as I've been after a playoff loss that didn't end the season, right? When the season ends, that's a different feeling. Um, But I was wrecked, and it took me a long time to get over it. Now we're recording just about exactly 24 hours after the game ended, and I think I'm getting past it. Obviously, we're breaking it down. We're looking forward to game five. There's still a lot of series to go here, and the Devils are the inexperienced team, right? So now we get to see how they handle prosperity. But The reason I bring up the confidence thing is I was at game two. I was fortunate to luck into some very good seats, about 15 rows off the ice on the blue line through a friend of mine. It's close enough to see the players' faces, right? And there was a moment in the first period, and I'll I'll never forget it, especially, uh, you know, as we talk about this team uh, in this forum, right, on on a podcast. Um, They were already down one nothing because the Devils got the first goal in that game. But they got a power play late in the first period, and they're zipping the puck around. And you could just tell they were feeling themselves. Puck went out of play. They gathered for a faceoff at the dot uh, closest to me. And I think it was Kreider and Zibanejad. Like, they just kind of, you know, they huddled up like they do before uh, you would have faceoff to discuss positioning and set plays. Uh, They were laughing. They were feeling so good about themselves that they were chuckling between whistles in the middle of a playoff game. And that just struck me so deeply as a fan because I thought to myself I've never seen this team this confident and after game one which was such a buttoned up professional mature playoff victory and then to go in there and not feel phased at all by that initial devil's push and giving up the first goal it was like we expected this we're cool and we're going to win this game five to one and that's exactly what they did to have that all evaporate in the space of 72 hours I think is what made me feel the way I felt in the aftermath of game four and I think that's a little bit what the players felt um, when Siegenthaler scored, or maybe even maybe not even because Nick, you you bring up a great point. It's one of the things that I vented about last night as well on Twitter was that I could not believe that there was not more of an emotional response from the team after the game tying goal from Trocheck. I was like, that's it. As you said, Garden's alive, and this is where a true contender, a championship team is going to boss the game, right? The next 15 minutes of this hockey game are going to be in New Jersey's end, and this team is going to furiously push for that game-winning goal. That's what I expected. I just expected it because they've shown they can do it. They did it a ton last year to all three teams that they played at times, Pittsburgh, Carolina, and Tampa. And I think what I, and in looking back at this series, like, yes, they've obviously had some great moments. They've gotten a lot of work done on the power play. They really have not had the devils on the run in their own end for extended periods of time, right? For shift after shift after shift. 
Um, and that I think is something that's a little bit concerning because I feel like that's coming for the devils. I feel like they had a spurt of it in game one, but they were already too far behind for it to matter. Then they played a bad game in game two. And then game three was very even game four was very tentative and tight checking. I feel like we're going to get a hair on fire version of the devils in game five. And I think this series rides on how well the Rangers handle that initial burst from the devils. Cause I think they're going to be extremely fired up at home for the first 10 minutes or so. So you're kind of in a classic weather, the storm scenario, if you're the Rangers, but I just, I wanted to sort of talk through that because I really, and I think that this is part of the reason why we experienced the discourse that we did, you know, on Ranger Twitter for most of the last day or so is that that was, do you guys agree? Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just like, maybe that was the beer talking, right? I, I hadn't had too many, oh, but no, I had a couple I, beers. <laughs> like I was like, this is the best they've looked in the playoffs, period. No, yeah, no, it's, it's right. No, you're, you're right on that. They were, they but, were, they were, they were buzzing. There was no doubt about I, that. Cause I, I'll be totally honest. I expected the letdown to be game two. I totally thought going into game two, all right, we played so well in game one. It was so businesslike. New Jersey's going to come out with their hair on fire. The Rangers are going to get caught in track meet. They're going to give up two in the first period, and we're going to be chasing the entire night. Just because the Rangers will be like, okay, we stole home ice. We're up 1-0. We'll go back to the garden even. We don't have to worry. And then for the Rangers to, you know, they gave up the first goal in game two, and then they just were like, okay, now we're just going to shove it down your throat. And they came right back and put it right back on them. I was so shocked because I wasn't expecting that. I I really thought it was going to be, all right, well, we we stole the game that nobody thought we were going to win, so we already got our one. That's all we needed. The fact that the letdown happened at the Garden surprises me more than anything, especially because – Lindy Ruff going to Akira Schmidt in game three reeked of desperation. Yep. And that was the moment where I said, okay, if the Rangers get an early one in game three, the Devils are going to fold because they're already starting to feel the heat. They they already know that going to Schmidt right now is, is, is a move of desperation. We get one early, we're going to get all of them, and they're going to be going back down the turnpike. So it's just the way everything unfolded in these two games that just has me very, very nervous going into uh, game five. Yeah. And listen, last point on on this. And then I think, you know, we'll, we'll probably get to the questions because we got a bunch of those. A, a lot of the way we feel, and I think earlier, I think, JL, you brought up uh, Lundqvist and, you know, uh, just in the context of, hey, the goalie doing everything possible. And I pro- I let out an audible huge sigh because <laughs> I think a part of the reason that we all felt and wanted to believe what we believed after game two, right? That this is a true contender. This is a team that can win the Stanley Cup is because they just had that look about them, right? And, and we have watched this team, you know, with the exception of the rebuild years, which were intentionally... Uh, done and very well done to get them back to this point as quickly as possible. We've watched this team be a perennial playoff team that competes, right? They are, they are, they are often winning at least a round, maybe two. I mean, look, they've made four conference finals in a decade. That is not anything to sneeze at. Um, if you go back to 2012, um, we've seen a lot of success. We've seen a lot of almost there. And we know that almost there looks like struggling through a series that should be a short series, right? Getting up two or three, one, letting it go seven. 
um, you know, not closing the deal when you have a chance to. And in general, like you said, Nick, you were conditioned to think that the Rangers would let down in game two because that's all you'd lived for the last 15 years as a Ranger fan. And so when they went up 2-0, I think I let myself believe this was going to be different, that at worst, you split at the garden and all the pressures on the Devils in game five to just keep their season alive. And you've got the fallback plan of a game six. Now, you know, now it just it, it feels like we've reverted back to what the Rangers were through the Lundqvist years. And what they were through those years where, yes, they would they would play their asses off under torts or they had a really nice deep team the first couple of years under AV, but they were missing that game breaking skill. And you had Lundqvist doing every single thing in his in his power to, to, to propel them to a championship that wasn't ultimately going to come because there just wasn't enough there. It felt like through two games there was enough there. And I, I started questioning that after game four. And. Look, I hope they make me sound foolish. And and I think, again, with 24 hours now between the end of that game and with another day to go before game five, I will start to believe again. And the, the vibes will come back, and I'll be really excited to watch this team play another game. And I, I think that I'll come around to you know expecting them to put forth a good effort. But at the same time, you've left yourself with very little margin forever right now, right? And I said this last night, I think, in the in the chat, Nick, you could play a really good game on Thursday and lose. I mean, that's the cruelty of hockey. They could come out, score three goals, and 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 actually, you know, and but lose four to three in overtime because that's how hockey is. But you've left yourself exposed to that possibility now because you didn't take care of business in at least one game at MSG. That's what's so disappointing to me. So uh, that's kind of my final final thought on the state of the series through four games. I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add. Um, any final thoughts of your own before we get to uh, the questions? Well, I'll just say this. Um, I absolutely refuse, and I really hope that they they prove me right on this. I absolutely refuse to believe that this team is just going to roll over and die like that. Granted, the performances were not exactly beacons of confidence, but there's a reason why Drury went out and got guys like Kane Mikola Tarasenko because of their playoff experience and you know yeah it's basically this this is essentially a trauma response you know and and I use that you know lightly in the context of sports um from you know like you said from the Lundquist years because this is just the same old song we've seen over and mm-hmm. over and over again and it is it is really disheartening because we all know how that went out but again you have too much skill up front. I could understand if this was like the 15 team or at least even the 17 team, I could be like, all right, I get it. You know, your top line center is, you know, Derek Stepan. I get it. You know, at the time, I just refuse to believe that this team just forgot how to play hockey within a week and just like not cared. I just refuse. I, I just can't see it. You know, yeah, well, I mean, and, and- no, I, I listen. I think you're. I totally agree with you there. And I, and I will say, again, with hindsight, they didn't play poorly in Game Three. They played a pretty decent game. They were they were pretty close to winning. And actually, I think you said it, Nick. They opened it up a little bit at times in that game, mm-hmm. especially in overtime. I mean, they were they were blitzing the Devils' net through the first seven eight minutes of overtime. They had a couple of really glorious chances, a couple of really good screenshots. Uh, that one chance right down the gut, I think it was Panarin. It was ended up being blocked. 
Um, They had some really good chances to win that game. And and look, if they score in overtime there, yeah, they gutted out a win. They go up 3-0 and we're talking about, hey, they look like a championship contender. Uh, truly, but that's a coin flip and it didn't go their way, but the response in game four definitely was not it. So, yeah. Um, and no, and yeah, it, it was concerning. And, and I'll, and I'll just summarize with this again. I refuse to believe that they're just going to f- fall over and just, you know, die. And I expect a better effort and hopefully a win. Please be right. Please. <laughs> I, I, I look at it this way. I think Gallant really said it all in his post-game press conference after Game Four. He didn't come out and say it, but he very nicely called his entire team soft in how they came out in Game Four. And the worst thing you can do to any athlete, especially a, a, a hockey player, is que- is call them soft. And I, I just. I appreciate what he did because he's throwing the challenge at their feet, saying, "Look, it's on you guys. We 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 have the game plan. It it shows it works because it worked in games one and two. Mm-hmm. It's on you guys. It's on yep. you know putting up that effort and capitalizing on your chances. Now, some stuff that he has to throw, absolutely. But all in all." I, I do like that he threw it right out at his players and said, look, it, it's at your guys' feet. I I can only put it up on the board. It's up to you guys to go out there and execute. Yeah, and and again, I know I said it earlier, but I've got no problems with Gerard Gallant so far this series, and and that's not usual. That's not a, in a usual position for somebody who's got opinions about the Rangers. Uh, it, often it comes back to the coach and the shortcomings of the coach. Um, of course, NHL coaches are, you know, often different shades slightly different shades of the same color. But um, I think Gallant has had a good series. I think he set them up for success. And I totally agree with you, Nick. This is squarely at the feet of the players and it's shared too. I mean, again, it's easy to key on Mika and Panera and they're the stars that are not performing, but we've seen bad moments from every single guy that has dressed. I think the fourth line has actually been disappointingly average. They've been fine, but you know, I, 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 I looked at the lineups before this series and I saw a distinct advantage in the bottom six. The kid line has made that a reality. The, the Heedle Kako loft line is the heavy, one of the heaviest lines in hockey right now, really good at cycling the puck, really good at generating offense down low and having some extended shifts in the opposing zone. The fourth line has been very, very average to below average. And the top six has done very little at five on five, as we know. So um, we will see if the players respond. Certainly the coach, as you said, Nick has put it at their feet. All right, JL, why don't we get to questions? Because I know we did get quite a few from our yes. lovely lovely listeners. Yes, we did. So the first question comes kind of close to home for you, Rob. This comes from Becky. And, you know, having had her having been on a podcast with her, I can hear this in her voice now. So she writes, Hey, first time, long time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, that's a good old FAN thing. What were your actual expectations of the series before it began? And are you all going to keep being insufferable the entire series, even if they win? I'll hang up and listen. This is directed <laughs> at me, obviously. <laughs> you know what? I, I didn't want to say anything. I kind of felt that was the case because of how you were on Twitter <laughs> that night. I was like, whoa, like this is even like kind of shocked me at the sense. So when I saw that, I kind of figured she was taking a dig at you. She probably <laughs> muted me, uh, which is fine. She probably muted the group chat. So now you all know that. Um, and 
look, I think, but I, you know what, this is, this, this is just, and she knows this, uh, I will always admit when I'm wrong or I will always say, Hey, you know what, you're right about this. And I think she is very right to call us back to our original expectations of the team in this series. Right. So I'll just own right up to it. What did I pick in this series? I picked Rangers in six. Is that very much still on the board? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did I expect the Rangers to sweep the New Jersey Devils? I did not. So that is 1000% accurate and and does give some much needed perspective to uh, the emotional roller coaster that we've all been on over the last week and a half or so, uh, especially after Tuesday night's loss. So Nick, I'm actually, uh, since you weren't on the show or haven't been on the show previously, what was your original prediction for this series? So on the uh, on the thirty on Broadway preview playoff preview pod that Chris and I did, we both actually picked the Rangers in six. Mm-hmm. So while I'm I was absolutely miserable after Game Four, and it, but it goes back to once you go up two zero, expectations get raised, and especially because of how the Rangers played, it was. Okay, I said Rangers in six, but if they play like this, it's going to be Rangers in four or Rangers in five. So they they were kind of a victim of their own success at that point. Like I, I look at it like in, in the same way, the Jets, you know, the New York Jets, they finally traded for Aaron Rodgers. So now the expectations for the Jets were, you know, we weren't going to be good. To okay, now you get Aaron Rodgers. Well, now it's not just making the playoffs. Now it's you know, we can win the division and maybe win a playoff game or two. So it's one of those things where it's like you do have to check your expectations where they were before and, you know, where they are now. Like, But I, I did pick the Rangers in six, and you can't win in six if you don't lose two. So, I mean, they are right on schedule. Yep. How about <laughs> well, you, Jay? I I so first of all, I will always and forever appreciate a Jets, Jets reference on a Ranger podcast. Me too. Um, <laughs> We're all Jet fans here. <laughs> We're all Jet fans here. So woo Aaron Rodgers. But uh my original prediction was Rangers and Six. Um, and like you said, that is going according to schedule. And and Nick, you are absolutely right on that. You know, it's kind of like when you see them do very well in that sense, you you want more because you want your team to just absolutely continue to dominate. And, you know, I, I was one of those, I'll admit, but at the same token, you know, especially after the other night, I, fi- I had to find a way to stay positive because just being, I mean, yeah, was I upset? Absolutely. I'm not going to, you know, deny that I was mad, you know, they just look terrible, but at the same token, you know, I, 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 I had to just like not look at Twitter for a little bit because, you know, it just was it was going to consume me in a very unhealthy way after that game. And once I was able to collect my thoughts, you know, there's not a dig at anyone. This is just my my uh, the way that I processed it. You know, I just tried to find the positives in the game, you know, and and, you know, just continue to have faith in the team. I knew a lot of people, you know, outside of Twitter that, you know, in other group chats like on facebook they were like oh the series is over you know this and that and the fourth like oh like and you know what i understand that in the moment you know so but i just i can't think like that i'm a natural optimist so and 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 rob can tell you this and and nick you could probably attest to this too i was very (coughs) positive in that chat way more than one way way more than anyone really should have after that but you know i you know 
being a, a Mets fan, I just have to be positive with everything because negative is all I ever really faced. And you guys, you know, two two thirds of us understand that. So it, um, <laughs> it's pretty so. funny because like let like I, I you guys know I was very negative after after the game last night, and I I just I try and use Twitter sometimes as screaming into the void. Like I I That's use Twitter that. just to just to get out my personal thoughts so this way it's not stuck in my head i just put it out there <laughs> and because if i if i just let everything you know sit in my head it'll just consume me so it's one of those where i just had to be negative for about 45 minutes last night after that game and then i was like okay now we're good we're moving on to game five yeah pretty much that's it so yeah far. and you have to have hope the players have the same response right i mean and and mm-hmm. i would think they will i mean these are pro athletes and They've all gone through this before, uh, yeah. you know, so anyway, let's go next question. Cause we've got, I, I just looked at the Twitter <laughs> responses and there are a lot, which is great. All right. So next question comes from, um, uh, at Calore commentary advanced takes does bringing negative energy into this world accomplish anything of value? Easy answer. No, no, we just kind of, we just kind of went uh, into that, you know, and I, while I agree by the way, with the utility of Twitter being uh, a great place to stream into the void, it is also a place where we discuss the team uh, at, along with this podcast, along with other group chats. And hey, how about in real life conversations? Look, I, I don't think any fan would have been out of line by t- saying a few negative things about the Rangers last night. So while I appreciate the good vibes only approach, and I normally am a big time subscriber to that, uh, I think it's okay to have been disappointed slash upset about last night's game. Oh, 100%. There's a difference Tuesday's between... Game. There's a difference between just being, you know, blindly positive and just being rational. Like, yeah, they sucked, but time to move on. That's it. That's yep. pretty much how it is. They sucked. Move on. Say I, what you need to say and let it out. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, it's okay to say when you've been bad. It, it, like, because you're never going to improve if you can't look in the mirror and say, okay, we suck. So you have yeah. to recognize, look, not everything is going to be perfect. Not everything's going to go your way 100% of the time. So game four was that opportunity. The Rangers didn't play well. And it is okay to sit there and look at the mirror and go, hey, it wasn't good enough tonight. It was not even close to the effort that you need to win a championship. So I, I, I can't blame anyone for – and I'm not going to say any fan's a bad fan if they said, look, it wasn't acceptable because it wasn't. But that's how you grow and you get better. Right. Yeah. See, what did I say? There would be a little bit of therapy on this show, as promised. <laughs> promises made, promises kept. That's right. All right. So, next question. This is actually, I like this question, and I was actually pondering something similar to this uh, during the game. This comes from our buddy Will Wright at W Wright eighty eight. He asks, "Who do you remove from power play one, Kane or Panarin?" Panarin was the member of a productive unit pre-Kane, but Kane has been the more threatening player this postseason. Either way, having both players on opposite, uh, both players opposite each other isn't working. It's a really interesting question. Um, and I think the reason he brings this up, and, and this is also something that will come up in a later question, but I guess we'll, you know, we'll kind of address it now and we'll, we'll, we'll mention it later. But the thing that we're all calling for rightfully so as an adjustment on the power play is get Mika back in his office, right? Mm. Put him in the left circle and let him fire one timers. Um, or if the devils are going to cheat the way teams cheat on Ovechkin, 
the Rangers have enough skill to beat the, the remaining three penalty killers four on three on two thirds of the width of the ice. So the and and you can you know make some plays off of that. Now that means that Panarin's got to go somewhere, and the only place he could go is the near wall where he was most of the year, or into the bumper spot, which I don't think would be a good fit for him. But I'm also you know similar to UJL, and I watch a ton of hockey, but I'm not you know the most tactically astute. Um, and and I think that you know the bumper is generally a guy who. Um, you know, doesn't orchestrate. It's more of a read and react position. And it's, and it's a secondary one-timer position. Um, You know, obviously the key distributors or playmakers are the half wall players on the point and obviously Kreider at the net front. So if you've got to get Zemanaja back to the off wing circle, which they do, Panarin's got to go somewhere and, and his only natural spot is where Kane is. Right. So, so the question is, do you take Kane off the wall and put Panarin there? Or do you put Panarin on the second unit with Vladimir Tarasenko and, and Trocek, right? And basically keep that line together. Um, I think we will know more about this in practice, potentially, because the Rangers, I think, are having a full practice today, Wednesday, when the show comes out. Um, and I'm sure they will work on special teams. But, you know, if I had to choose, I would probably keep Patrick Kane on the first power play unit because also... I think his ability to make a uh, an elevated seam pass or or an inch perfect seam pass over to Zabanajad right now he's more dialed in and more relaxed than Panarin is who's just a little bit jumpy as we've said. Um, mm-hmm. So that's my thought. Um, I liked it when Gallant made those two units towards the end of the season, where you had uh, Mika as the shooter on the first one, and then you had Panarin as the shooter on the second. I think that would really benefit the team greatly here in the sense of kind of spreading things out a little bit. You basically mentioned a lot of what I was going to say, so it's not really worth repeating, but, you know, putting, you know, the emphasis on having the power play units the way that Glenn had it before that Hurricanes game, which ever since then, he just kind of said the heck with it. They were, they were scoring power play goals with those two separate units, you know, at a, at a decent clip before that Hurricanes game, you know, and I see why he did it. He made the adjustments because, you know, Carolina is that big team that you want to kind of overload with. But in this case, going back to having Panarin with Tarasenko and uh, Trocek on the power play and having Heedle there with Lafreniere and maybe Miller, and then also just kind of having Kane on that first, you know, keeping the lines together. I think that, w- I, and I feel like that's going to be the move, and I want that to happen because I really think that would um, that would really alleviate a lot of the cl- the clogginess. It's not a word, but I'm going to make it a word because if you look at the way that they're moving around, yes, it's still very good. They can execute to the best of their abilities, but you got too many cooks in the kitchen, and Mika's not Mika's not built for a bumper spot, and Panarin's not built for shooting on his off wing. You know, could he do it? That's how I got the overtime winner last year, but it's not ideal. You want to have a left-handed shot on that other side of Mika. So split them up and just kind of play around with it. Get the devils moving around. And, you know, I think that I think that would work, honestly. I would actually I would keep them both together on the same power play unit. I would do what Rob said. I would move uh Kane into the bumper spot and I would put Panarin on the right side 
instead of having them on the left side in Mika's spot. Because I th- because like we all know, Panarin wants to pass first. That's that's not even a question. So having him in a spot where he should be a shooter doesn't suit him. So then when you have Mika back in his office, not only does it open up his one-timer, but it also he now has that ability to, to pass the puck and make that extra pass, which he was trying to do a little bit of, but doing it from the goal line is not a strong suit. Like, there was one play in game four where he didn't even turn to face Schmid. He tried forcing a pass through the middle of the ice that wasn't there. So I, I think putting him back in that spot makes Mika a dual threat. And I like Kane in the bumper because I think he can redirect pucks and it offers him an extra passing window. He can either pass the puck to Mika for a one-timer or you move Kreider off, off the side a little bit and he can try like a little shot pass to Kreider that he could tip in, which we all know he's a, he's a master at doing. Yeah, and also Kane, you know, that's an interesting too, left-handed shot in the bumper spot, which the Rangers have not had. They tried it a little bit with Heedle midseason. Does open up that one time. I mean, that's pretty much how Leon Dreisaitl scores every power play goal he gets on Edmonton's power play, mm-hmm. right? He he fades into the high slot, you know, the soft spot in the, in the diamond. And, and, I mean, look, he has a really wicked short wind-up one-timer. I mean, he's an unbelievable... I mean, the goal he scored, you know, I was watching a little bit of uh, the Kings-Oilers uh, uh, game a couple of nights ago, and and he scored as part of that big Edmonton comeback. I'm just like, his shot's ridiculous, you know, from that intermediate range, quick take back. You know, I don't know that Kane has that type of shot, but he's still got a really good shot, and he, he knows how to one-time a puck. So, look, I, I mean, I think there's so much talent that... I also think, you know, again, just to go, let's go back to the confidence issue. What did this power play look like in games one and two? I mean, it was, it was, it, had a lot of, it was flying. Stellar. It was swagger. And that, and they were moving, right? There was all sorts. I mean, they were basically running like basketball style weave plays at the top of the zone, right? Where Fox would come down the right boards. Uh, Kane would come to the top. Panarin would circle into the middle and they would just kind of do multiple drop passes. And you get the top two, uh, you know, penalty killers in the diamond moving. And that opens up shot and pass lane. So maybe it's just that. Maybe it's like, hey, look, we don't need to change personnel. We got to move more. There's got to be more interchanging. And then, you know, it kind of becomes a little bit of basketball, right? Open man takes the shot. It's free flowing. Maybe Mika gets to his spot organically as opposed to just parking there and standing. So good question. And I think, you know, power play tactically is something that the Rangers have to look at because if, you know, look, it's been not a stretch to say that if they go scoreless on the power play the rest of the series, they're probably not going to win the series. I would also say this, too. Start the second unit for one of the power plays. I thought they should have done that last night, too, in game I four. Agree. Absolutely. The, the last power play they got, I think it might have said it to Becky and annoyed the shit out of her, but I I, I think I <laughs> said or thought they should start the second unit here. Just to switch it up, because Jersey's looking for the top unit. So just to, just to give them a little bit of a switch up and see how they react react to it. Well, and Trocheck's probably going to win that face off too. He's their best face off guy. So true, right. very true. So there's that too. All right, cool. Good question. All right. Will. thank you. Next question comes from our buddy Russell Hartman, and I say his name in full because you know I do that to mess with him. I don't know why. Uh, Rusty Hart thirty eight asks us: Is Panarin simply not a clutch player? And he adds. Yes, I know he scored the big goal against Pitt last year, but what has he done in the playoffs since, you know? Hmm, good question. I mean, he's not until he is, right? And he's got, it's just like baseball. 
you know, I, guess, I know you guys are Mets fans. I'm a Yankee fan. I watched Alex Rodriguez do his thing in the playoffs every year until 2009 when he carried that team to the World Series, hit a homer in the World Series, uh, and was actually a big part of that that championship team. Um, he's not until he is. His number will keep coming up. He's going to have chances in Game 5, in Game 6, in his next playoff series as a Ranger, whether that's this year or, you know, knock on wood next year. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere, by the way. Uh, I don't know if that's a question later on. I know we have a lot of them. Um, he's not until he is. He he has the one moment in game seven. It was a, an unbelievable shot through the most layered, ridiculous screen I've ever seen. I You know, you could watch a million replays of that goal and not understand how it went in. It just went in. I think it slightly grazes a leg. But look, great moment. And he did have some good moments in in the subsequent games and series. But he has not been a focal point in the way that just look right at our opponent this series, the way Jack Hughes has been a focal point, the way Braden Point is always a focal point for Tampa, the way Austin Matthews was a focal point for the Leafs in their quest to exercise their demons, which they are now very close to doing. You know, you, you, it's really awesome to watch the highlights in 2014 and see like Dominic Moore score that goal to put them in the Stanley Cup final. But if you're going to win a championship, you need your stars to be stars. And Panarin hasn't been that yet. So I think he can be, but to Russ's question... Not yet. Yeah, he he's not even. And I'll say it this way: he's not even Derek Broussard. No, Broussard, Broussard, Broussard always came up clutch. Hell, Brian Boyle scored has scored more clutch playoff goals than Artemi Panarin. So that that's a problem. But I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I love Panarin, I do, but big players have to come up in big moments. And I keep coming back to this, and I know it pisses off certain fans, and I'm sorry, but if he was Rick Nash, there would be he would unforgivably get roasted. And, and we, I had to live through the Rick Nash slander his entire Ranger career. But I'll say this: Nash did more night in and night out than Panera did to help than Panera does to help the team win, because Nash would play every zone. He'd be. A, a great back checker. He would set guys up, and it sucks because you're right. You're not one until you are, and he's just not that yet. And I just I need to see him just take control of the series. Right now, this is it. This is the perfect perfect time for Artemi Panera to rewrite his postseason destiny with the Rangers. You take over this series, starting with Game Five. You you have a clutch three point game, and then you close them out. You know, in game six. And right then, it'll shut everybody up. It'll shut me up. It'll shut absolutely everybody up. But until Pitt has that defining postseason series, he's not going to be looked at as a clutch player. Well, I, I'm going to have a short answer here, basically similar to your answer, Rob. But I need, I need to see more or at least wait until the series is over because, you know, every game presents an opportunity. I did this with Rick Nash for what it's worth. Rick Nash was always one of my favorites. And, you know, like you said, would do a lot night in and night out. But I think Panarin has it in him. He's definitely done it in the playoffs before. And it's, again, cautious optimism with him. So it's pen- it's pending games. I, I can't I can't just not say that he's not clutch when he could just completely dominate and he can he has the ability to do so uh 
he could potentially just dominate the next two games and, you know, like you said, basically rewrite that story. So I, I can't make a full determination on that yet. Totally. All right. All right. I guess next question. So this comes from one of my favorite follows on Twitter, John Cougar Colleen Camp at Bill Seussbill. And he asks if they wind up losing this series, who would you remove from the core? Nobody or multiple players are acceptable answers. That's a good question. That is a really yep. good question. So, are, so we we are allowed to say nobody. We're also able to say multiple players. And to define the core, is that that include the kids? I mean, you know, is it is it you know? I, I guess so. we're, think we're that's the Criders, Abanajad, uh, Panarin. Trocheck counts as core now, given the length of his contract, right? Fox, Lingren, right. Truba, Miller. Uh, that, those are the core. Most notable. Right. I mean, again, because like the kids, I'm not touching the kids. I think they've been great. And uh, why would you get rid of any of them? They're all on manageable contracts and they're all mm-hmm. on the upswing of their career. So I think that's kind of a non-issue here. Um, man, I don't know. It's definitely not Kreider. Um, no. Uh, it's definitely not Savannah Jad. Um, it, it kind of seems like I kind of, I kind of feel like this question is kind of gearing more towards uh, Panarin. Um, and in the sense that, you know, and it follows up with the other question. Is he good enough? He's good enough for regular season. Is he good enough for playoffs? And it gets to a point where if he continues to struggle and let's say he does, he struggles the rest of this way and then he struggles into let's say they you know they make the playoffs next year you know at what point do you have to cut your losses and say you know ah, we've seen enough of this it's time for us to move on and probably get someone who we know we can do it um so it's probably either that on the defensive side of things this is going to sound kind of crazy i would probably say if they had to uh move somebody it would probably be either Lindgren or Keandre, and the it reason can't be I, Lindgren. Can't the, be Lindgren. I don't think so but, either. But the reason why I mentioned Keandre is because I don't want. Uh, let me just preface this: I don't want them to trade him first of all. But um, you could get a pretty good haul for a player like him at this current stage in his career. You got tall, you know, great skater. He's got a very good reach on his stick. He has awesome defensive potential. And you could essentially trade him in a package for a forward who could probably come through in a clutch situation. It's really hard for this. It's really hard to answer this question because um, this team can still be retooled in certain aspects for certain years like if you don't re-sign Tarasenko and Kane you could just fill the spot with you know Brennan Othman and a couple other draft picks if they pan out or even fill up another sort of veteran in that spot so that's the good thing the Rangers have for them but if it were me it's more than likely either going to be Panarin or Keandre Miller yeah I, I, I mean, mean yeah go ahead Nick. Well, I, I, I'm gonna this is gonna be really easy for me I'm gonna go the Tampa Bay route after losing against Columbus I'm not going to overreact. I'm going to say, okay, this is what we do well. 
what are the areas that we need improvement? Maybe not a great improvement, but still somewhat of an improvement and not blow it up. Because when Tampa lost to Columbus, I, I think everybody's first reaction was, oh, my God, blow it up. Mm-hmm. You had this great regular season, but you couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Blow it up because you're done. And I know I was one of them that was saying that about Tampa. So, but and Tampa stayed the course and they said, okay, this, this is why we lost. So we identified why we lost. This is how we're going to correct it. If the Rangers happen to lose this series, you take the Tampa Bay approach. And you say, okay, this is why we lost, and this is how we're going to correct it, and this is how we're going to get back on track. And you don't blow it up unless it doesn't work again next year. I think that's right, Nick. And I think that, you know, as much as, and I love the question from uh, from Mr. Colleen Camp here, but uh, – when you say remove, it's as much about replace as it is remove. Like, fine, you want to get rid of an $11.6 million player in Artemi Panarin. I can totally see the benefits there with cap relief. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, that, so right there, the cap crunch is gone. You can resign all your kids. You can, you know, continue to promote from within. You could probably go play a little bit in the free agent market as well. But, you know, then you're kind of got to do the money ball thing. You got to be, you know, Billy Bean in, in the, in real life and in the movie, right? we can't replace Johnny Damon with one guy. We, cause we don't have the money for that. We have to replace him with three guys and, you know, look, it worked uh, in Moneyball, but Moneyball is also like a little bit of a fairy tale at this point. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. You know, you can write down on paper, we're going to replace 92 points with three really good 32 point, you know, 30 point players. But Artemi Panarin is a guy that gets you there. And that is, very, very important because of the coin flip nature of the playoffs. Again, you know, I'm trying to come back to, and I am coming back to my natural optimism, very similar to you, JL, right? Mm-hmm. A coin flip the other way. And we're talking, we're having this conversation. The Rangers are up 3-1 because they win that game in overtime because the puck goes off, whoever the hell shin it was, Kevin Ball or whoever was in front of the net that blocked that shot. It goes off his shin and ricochets in as opposed to being a block shot in overtime right on the top of the crease. And we're like, hey, look, they're up 3-1. Yeah, they didn't win game four. They could have swept them. We're a little nervous about game five, but come on, they're not going to blow this. And they're going to go into game round two with plenty of rest against a beat-up Carolina team or a pretty mediocre Islander team. You know, we're feeling great. And they got in last year, and it was, hey, why not us, right? Once they got through round one, it became, why not us? And they got better as the playoffs went on until they ran out of gas. Panarin gets you there and getting there is not Mm -hmm. to be underrated. It is not as easy as everybody says it is or thinks it is to make the NHL playoffs Uh, teams that fall out of it when they lose their core core players. And when they have to rebuild, a lot of them don't get back there for decade for, for, for five to 10 years. Look at the Buffalo Sabres as an example, look at the Edmonton Oilers before they finally figured it out a couple of seasons ago, even after getting Connor McDavid. So this is, I don't want to take that for granted. You want to get in every single year that you can and take your best chance when you get there. Panarin gets you there. So even though that is kind of the obvious answer here, um, I'm kind of with you, Nick. I don't want to, I don't want to break this team up and I don't think you overreact. I think that's a great shout. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm inclined to agree. I just figured I would try and answer the question for no, Mr. No, you did. You did uh, you, uh, hey, listen, we don't have to agree on everything. And I, no, of your course plan not. is sound, JL. And also, you're right. Keandre Miller fetches a haul. So, and he has not been good, by the way. And I, no, I said that about a couple of weeks ago, but he has really not been good. You know, he's driving. I know he's driving Connell nuts in the group chat, who is a, is a former defenseman who played at a pretty high level and is now a junior coach. And he is just like 
he can't watch him right now. So that tells me something because I really trust his opinion on the game. But anyway, right. let's let's get to the next question. All right. Next question comes from Kevin at Spozo211. And he says, can someone explain why Goodrow was on the ice with a minute left of a playoff game when they are down a goal? Um, I guess face-offs? I know Trocheck was on there or defense. I well, assume. listen, this Kinda is a little bit though. of a misleading and not no, no offense to you at all. Kevin, thanks for asking the question. You always ask questions. Thank you for listening every week. Remember the Rangers called a timeout and pulled Shesterkin with two minutes left and they didn't do anything, of course, but they were out there for a minute and five seconds. The top six players on the team, right? Fox plus the top five forwards, Kane, Panarin, Zabana, Jed Kreider, Tarasenko. That was their six attackers. They had to chase the puck a bunch because they couldn't get it under control and get set up in the offensive zone, right? That was a pretty pathetic man advantage, yes. you know, pulled goalie mm-hmm. situation. But right. because they were chasing the puck so much, they got tired, they had to come off the ice. Now, look, you could argue the next four guys over should have been the kid line, right? So plus Trocheck, and then maybe you go, I mean, who's even left? You've only got another forward to choose for you, or you go two defensemen, you go Truben Miller. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't think it's that some, I don't think this is something we need to like rake Gerard Gallant over the coals over putting Goodrow out there. I think he was also pissed at his team for effort and he knows Goodrow is always going to give you an honest effort. Yeah. I agree. I, yeah. I, I had no issue. I know a lot. Surprisingly, this was the one thing that I saw on Twitter a lot of was just why was Goodrow on the ice? I'm like, well, the other, the you know, the top unit was out there for 65 seconds. And like you said, they were chasing the play the entire time. So, you know, New Jersey's not going to call a timeout in that spot to let them catch their breath. Right. So it, it, it's one of those where you got to go with the second unit. And look, Goodrow's one of those guys, too. He will score a greasy goal. He'll go stand yep. in front of the net, and he will redirect the puck. He'll, you know, he'll screen Schmidt. He'll win a puck battle in the corner to, you know, to get that puck back out to the point. So right. I, but, Barkley Goodrill gets a lot of hate from Ranger fans for a contract that isn't his fault. If you know, I know if I get overpaid or if I got over, you know, uh, more job security than I should, I'm not going to tell them, "Hey, take that back. You're giving me too much." Like, <laughs> I, I yeah. never begrudge a player for taking more money or more years on a deal than what they should. I, that I always blame management for. So, and Barkley Goodrow, whether Ranger fans want to admit it or not, is a damn good hockey player, and the Rangers wouldn't have made it as far as they did last year without him, and they wouldn't be as good this year without him. So, I, I have no problem with Barkley Goodrow being, you know, the sixth man on the second unit, you know, chasing a, a one-goal uh, lead. And a lot of people tend to forget that Goodrow is not only really good in the playoffs, but he scored a really nice goal for the Sharks against the Vegas Golden Knights. He's not goal too. A huge yeah, goal. <laughs> he, he's not some some scrub with no skill. He's very good at what he does. He's not putting up 40 goals a year, but like Nick said, he he helps them get there. And you also alluded to that too, Rob. You know, the players like that help the Rangers get to where they need to be. And and I'll say this, and, and this will be the last thing I'll say on this because you know I know we got other questions. That contract, it's not really much of an overpay. Mikel Grandland is getting paid a ridiculous amount of money to do absolutely nothing 
and the Pittsburgh Penguins traded a second round pick and some change for him. The fact that we're getting Barclay Goodrow for the value that we're getting him is absolutely a steal and the reason why we're in the playoffs and they're not. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think that I agree with you, Nick, on the contract, you know, and, and, and I've never been a big critic critic of that contract because I do see the value in the player. Look, he's putting up 30 points and predominantly a bottom six or fourth line role. He kills penalties. And I agree with you, by the way, that and coaches often look for this. And 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 Gerard Gallant is not the only one. Sometimes you want a little bit of that sandpaper element in a situation where you need goals. Now, look, I'm certainly not saying they should put Goodrow anywhere near the top six, you know, in their alignment going into game five. But in that situation, absolutely. I mean, all his goals were either rebounds or tips this year. Mm-hmm. He's a very good screener of the goalie. He wins puck battles in the corner. He can take a face off and, or at least help scramble it and win it. So absolutely. No, I, again, I agree with you. No problem. And also at that point, what option did they have? It was the top line unit was gassed. It didn't work out. It's okay. You got to move on from that. And you know, we're not, this is not something to criticize Gallant over. Mm-hmm. I'll take him in that spot over Jimmy Vesey going out there. I'll say that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. So next question comes from at the Terranator. This is Terrence. He goes, hey, guys, why has Mika struggled so much? Is it pressure or playoff style hockey not allowing him to play his game? He looks invisible out there. Is Gallant being outcoached by Ruff? The Devils make adjustments. The Rangers play the same way, no matter if it's working. So I know we've alluded to a couple of these points, but I figured we could repeat them again for the sake of this question. Um, here's my take on Zibanejad. You guys definitely may have different takes. I hope you do. Um, always makes for better radio podcasting. <laughs> I think he gets a little wrapped up in the defensive side of the game, which he's very good at. It happened with Crosby last year. And and honestly, it wasn't working out because Crosby was absolutely torching the Rangers for the first four and a half games of that series. Um, he's done a really good job defensively in this series, but I think he gets similar to Nash, by the way. And I think, um, you know, Nick, you called this out and, and I'm a big Rick Nash fan myself. So I, you know, uh, enemies on that front here for you, Nick, but um, and I know the wars you're talking about over the Rick Nash slander uh, <laughs> of, of years of years past. But I think Zabanajad gets a little in his head about like, I got to play simple. I got to play defense first. I don't want to make any mistakes here because I want to worry about, you know, the the, you know, the hundred feet of the ice that are closest to my net first. And I think he just gets a little bit wrapped up in that as opposed to becoming the free flowing true 200 foot player that he is, which means he can also create offense. Um, you know, so I think it's that, I just think he gets a little bit, um, a little bit wrapped up in that and a little bit in his head early in early in these playoff series. I think Galant has done a fantastic job. No, Lindy Ruff is not out coaching him. <laughs> um, man, I think one of the reasons why Mika has also struggled too, is, you know, not only getting into his head, but you know, it's similar to Panarin. He needs to see one go in, you know, because mm-hmm. he probably has one of the most underrated shots in the league. I mean, I've never seen a guy shoot the puck on either one foot on a string. And you can talk about Messier all you want, but Messier's retired. Um, I've never seen a shooter that can shoot the puck, at least for the Rangers, like he could, you know. And, and, and like I'll use an example, game six of the hurricane series last year, the power play goal that he scored to open it up. 
it was on a rush and he basically picked the puck from the defenseman and basically on one knee, they, they went bar down. So he needs to see one go in. Um, a lot of the block shots don't exactly help his cause. It is a mental game. And I think once he sees one go in, same with Panarin, he's good. He's, he's going to do good. He's, he's going to get there. Maybe tell Mika not to play defense anymore and just go straight forward because we kind of got it covered on the back end. <laughs> I, I really think that's the thing with him. I think I think Rob said it perfectly. He gets so in his head worried about the defensive side of the puck that he just forgets. Oh yeah, a big part of my game is I, I you know I have a huge part of driving offense for this club. But he's so worried about not making a mistake and not letting. He sure Hughes beat him that he forgets that, oh, yeah, you know, I got to go down. I got to get something going here, too. But I think that's the one good thing about this series being 2-2. It kind of puts that pressure on him to, all right, now I got to step up. Not only do I have to play good defense, but I have to start contributing offense again. But, yeah, no, look, Lindy Ruff is not out coaching Jarrett Gallant this series. I think Gallant has done a great job. Um the adjustments the Devils have made, the Devils have had to make because the Rangers smacked them around so hard in the first two games that if the Devils did, didn't make any adjustments, they would have been swept. So I I don't think – I, 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 I'm not trying to discredit Lindy Ruff, but I'm going to do it indirectly by saying, look, if you don't make adjustments, your season's over. So it doesn't exactly take Einstein to realize that he has to make adjustments. I think Gallant knows the Rangers have to tweak some things to their games. But I think for the most part, he looks at it the way we all do. If we go back to executing our game plan, we will not be beat. And I, I just think that's the way the Rangers are looking at it right now. Yeah, and again, you know, look at the style of games these have been. There have been minor spurts of track meet style hockey, but this has been on the Rangers' terms. And that, to me, tells you that Gallant's winning the coaching battle here. So. Um, it's been Ranger style hockey as opposed to devil style hockey, which I agree with you, Nick bodes well, long-term if the Rangers execute better, if they add those necessary wrinkles now that they've had four, four games against each other. All right. How many do we have left? Cause we're going for almost an hour 20 here. So we have two more questions left and we can All run right. through these pretty quickly. So the set, the second, the last question comes from immortal Lou 30. And he asks, whose life do I have to threaten to get Mika back in his office? <laughs> uh, well, Tony D'Angelo. I was going to say, that's, that's probably the one. Um, I don't know. That's I, I don't really think you, you need to do that. It's just just tell them, just, just hey, guys, do better. You don't have to threaten. It's all about yep. love here and good vibes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, if there's one thing to get on Galan about, I think that's it. It's just taking Mika out of the face-off circle. But I, I, yep. I do think the Rangers are going to go back to that in game five. So do I, but if it doesn't work, they better uh, adjust back and do it quickly because that's what playoffs are all about, right? I mean, and again, if it's fluid, if it's unpredictable, I think it has a better chance of working because look, if we are saying it and most people on in the hockey world are saying it, I mean, Ray Ferraro is saying it. Like, this is not like a novel concept. So if you go to the obvious move, your opponent's going to be expecting it. And if they shut it down, you got to move off it and find plan C. Because clearly plan A was good and it worked until it didn't. And if plan B is back to Mika in his office and that doesn't work, what's plan C? So, that, you know, that's mm -hmm. it is obvious and I want to see it too. But if it's 
if it's shut down and it's not working, then we move on. All right, we're at the last one. All right, and this comes from Nancy Lingata at Marina1227, and she asks, why does this team revert back to old bad habits? I want the team from game two back. I want the team from game two back as well. That's an interesting question. Would you consider that bad habits? You know how they've reverted the last two games? I don't kind know. Of a, I think, I mean, it's, it's a difficult yeah. question in some ways because it's it's you 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 can say oh well the devil's just kind of you know adjusted and then there, it was just kind of a lack of effort so it's not really something like a bad habit would be something consistent you know this is just more you can't really say that in a playoff series like this is, that's a regular season type question if I may say there's nothing wrong with the question I think it's a good question still I I just feel like that's kind of like human nature isn't it. To, even though you know something is not exactly the best way to go, you kind of revert back to it because it's something that feels comfortable. Right. So, you know, I think the Rangers playing East-West, that's how some of these some of the guys on the team feel comfortable playing. They don't like that hard North-South style that sometimes you got to play to win, and it worked in games one and two. You, you didn't do it so much in three and four, and look where it got you. You try going back to forcing the extra pass because you want to open up that perfect shot. It didn't work. I I just think that's a that like that's a natural human tendency to to try and just do something that feels comfortable. Yeah, and I think if you look at it on a macro level too, like we were talking about, right? How this team just historically, and now look, I hate to look into history because none of these players. Uh, you know, Chris Kreider obviously goes back to 2012, but none of them go back to when, when this kind of new era of Rangers hockey started in, in the 05, 06 season, you know, it, all, the teams are different. The style of hockey is completely different. Madison Square Garden is different. It's been renovated in that time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does feel on a macro level, like they did let their foot off the gas a little bit. And there just does not seem to be that killer instinct with this team. And that is frustrating. You know, is it fair to call that a habit? No, it's a little bit of a hallmark of this team, but also look, I mean, that you look around the playoffs other than Boston over Florida, which they clearly have them overmatched and they're probably going to wrap that up in five games. The rest of these series are going at least six games. It's the nature of playoff hockey, especially in a salary cap world, right? The rosters are pretty even, uh, you know, the, the, the playoffs are, are wide open, right? Anybody, any of the 16 teams that gets in, you know, maybe with save for the Panthers, and one team out West, you know, you're talking about 13 or 14 of them have somewhat legitimate chances at a championship. Um, and we see top teams get picked off all the time because these series just become a, a, a mortal struggle. Um, and, 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 and desperation is, is, is often what wins the day. And I think that's what we're looking for in game five to just kind of transition to closing thoughts. And thanks again to everyone for all the questions. Ultimately, it boils down to desperation. The Rangers were not desperate enough. I thought they showed decent desperation at times in game three, none in game four, but they were not desperate enough at home to really get a stranglehold on this thing. So now they've got a fight on their hands. And I believe if the desperation is there, they will get the outcome that they're looking for. They'll 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 win this series. It might go to the bitter end. It might go to seven games, but their experience, their goaltending, their talent will win out over, over the Devils in, in those areas. So... Um, I think guys, after almost 90 minutes of podcasting here, uh, you know, on top of 24 hours of stewing over a really tough loss, I'm feeling better. 
uh, I think I'm ready to to watch this game with an optimistic view on Thursday and see if the Rangers can get back on track. Any final thoughts from you both before we uh, sign off here? I, uh, I will. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, thank. Uh, no, I, I will say I, I do believe too, and I think this is something else. Home ice advantage doesn't matter anymore. No, I think you're seeing that around the league. I think now with the buildings being uniform, like this is not the old Boston Garden where it was only, you know, 185 feet, you know, and, and uh, so the, the neutral zone was shrunk. So you actually literally had to change your game when you went there and played. All the buildings now are uniform. You know, it's 200 by 85. Like there's no – nobody gets phased by going into a building anymore. So I think that also plays a part in this too that – Home ice just doesn't mean the same that it, that it used to. Like, I know when I was growing up, everybody used to talk about home ice, home ice, home ice. You wanted that advantage. and But now there is no advantage to actually playing your own building. And I think it's also, too, like free agent movement and going through COVID. Players had to learn how to play with no people in the stands. So I, I just don't think that crowds or, you know, lack thereof phases anyone anymore. So I think that's another reality that fans are having to come to grips with too. It's a really interesting point. Yeah. And, and look uh, for what it's worth, uh, there's going to be plenty of blue in the stands in Prudential center on Thursday night. So JL final thoughts from you. Well, don't worry, Rob, the hour that the therapist is not going to charge you. It's not going to go on your bill. So don't worry about it. Um, awesome. <laughs> um, you know, Oh, that's a good point about the home ice advantage thing. Um, I'll just say this, you know, like I said before, I have a hard time believing this team is just going to roll over and die. I have a very weird feeling this is going to go seven because why would it not be? They're the Rangers for goodness sake. And history always seems to repeat itself. This team is too talented. And I feel like after taking a really bad loss, they, they are going to turn it on. And especially with the extra day off will definitely help. So I, I can't see them just folding. Devils haven't really impressed me much. I think the Rangers come back in this, and I ultimately still think they win it in six. I really hope I'm right. Well, we will be with you all there as it unfolds. Obviously, uh, another show next week where we could be talking about round two. We could also be talking about uh, the end of a season, but let's hope it's the uh, the former, not the latter. Nick, thanks so much for joining the show. Really great to have you on. JL, always a pleasure. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. Listen, man, awesome. And I'm, I'm sure you will be back. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been threatening to do it. You know, there probably will be a Twitter space in the not too distant future, maybe a live version of this podcast as well. But in the meantime, you know, uh, keep looking for new episodes each week here on, on your uh, Spotify or iTunes feeds. Thanks so much for listening to Live from the Blue Seats. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.